Welcome to Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast. Welcome to Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast, hosted by me, Martin Carl of Thebetic, and me, Johnny Combe of Payback Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast, takes a look at the impact of new business models and new technologies on urban mobility from a global business perspective and explores how each new solution fits into the wider mobility ecosystem. The format of Ride is simple. We invite top industry experts to join us for an open and candid conversation. Ride is about the guests, what they have to say and what they bring to the discussion. You can find more details about shows and guests on our website, www.ridemobilitypodcast.com. Welcome to another episode of Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast. We're talking today about free-floating car sharing, but I think it's important for us to put this into some kind of context. Free-floating sharing is a term you hear in relation to e-scooters and e-bikes. You use an app to find the nearest e-scooter, for example, start riding it and leave it at your destination. But just as you found it in a random location, you don't need to find a docking station to secure it when you're done. You scan the QR code, maybe take a picture of the scooter, end the ride on the app and you'll build for that ride. But free floating is not something you hear about when talking about cars. So Johnny, how does it work for cars? Car sharing is where multiple people use the same car. Sometimes the user pays for it on a minute by minute basis. So the fact that it's free floating means that those cars don't need to start and end in the same place as a traditional rental vehicle would. What that means for the user experience is The user walks up to the car, often they use their smartphone to unlock the car, then drive it to the destination. They park, leaving the car in an on-street parking space, and they're automatically billed for the number of minutes that they use the car. This is something that's been tried in multiple cities around the world. There are a number of challenges in making this business model work successfully, but I am really excited about the guest we're going to be talking to today, because they have a purpose-built vehicle which seeks to overcome a number of these key challenges. Yeah, some listeners may know our guest from a very different part of the automotive industry. Eric Boulier has been team principal of the Renault and Lotus F1 teams and racing director of McLaren F1. He's now the founder and chief executive of a startup called Circle, an electric free-floating car-sharing company. And what's interesting about Circle is that instead of using an existing vehicle, Boulier and his team have decided to develop their own car. They've taken an innovative approach to the vehicle itself, and they've made a very bold decision on their battery strategy. Let's hear what Eric has to say. Uh, I'm Eric Boulier, the co-founder and CEO of Circle Mobility Solutions. Eric, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You come from possibly one of the most exciting areas in mobility. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background, please? Yeah, I'm a a space and aircraft uh, engineer first, and I did all my career before in uh, racing, Uh, being also in Formula One, yeah, running uh, Renault and Lotus F1 team, and uh, racing director at McLaren. Fantastic. So how did you manage to go from uh, running Formula One teams to being uh, founder and CEO of Circle? Well, it's uh, like I keep saying, you know, it's uh, why did I switch from 400 kph to 70 kph? Uh, 
It's mainly because obviously the world is changing, and uh, today you, you, I want to be part of you know changing the paradigm of the cities, you know, uh, especially with the climate, and also new mobilities because the cities, mainly the public, uh, I would say authorities, are really looking at changing the way we're gonna move around in the cities in the future, and uh, this is not only London; it's uh, all over the world. The Circle project involves free-floating vehicles. Can you talk to us about what free-floating is? Well, free-floating means you pick up through an application on your phone uh, the vehicle you need, uh, you go where you have to go, drop it, and you just pay per uh, minute the use of uh, this device. And who uses those vehicles? Well, I think today there is more and more a shift in the uh, way you want to be mobile into uh, cities. Uh, we come from obviously you own your vehicle and you keep your vehicle all day long. Uh, the future is more about the multimodality. Uh, you might take the tube in the morning, uh, go for a lunch, pick up a sandwich with an e-scooter, uh, and go then for a gathering with uh, little pods like Circle as design uh, because it's more convenient at that time. Eric, we've seen a number of players move into this free-floating space and then subsequently withdraw a few years later. Can you tell us what some of the challenges are of being successful in this space and, and if you can speak to why other players have moved in and then subsequently um, withdrawn? Well, it's like any new market, you know, it's, uh, you need to have your base and to, to build the culture around it as well. So a lot of this... Uh, operators, like you said, have uh, started maybe too early or with a different strategy. Uh, you also have to put into consideration that the, the use of the mobile today is completely different now. We all have uh, this uh, phone, connected phones, uh, and we also get used to now change the way we can consume, the way we, we want to move or whatever. So I think there was time, maybe some of them was too early. Uh, some of them are still here today, and uh, they're actually uh, bouncing back, you know, uh, I think about Lime, for example, uh, who is still the number one leader into this new micro-mobility. Uh, and, and all of them had to move on and to listen to the customer needs. And if you look at, for example, the e-scooters, the first generation of e-scooters was not connected at all. And for them, it was very difficult to know what the consumer was doing with, where they were. Uh, they had to recharge it. And if you look at the latest generation of e-scooters, there is a swap, swappable battery system. Uh, this is fully connected to, to the 4G or to your phone. And obviously, the monitoring then of these devices now makes it profitable, So, which was not the case a few years ago. Eric, your business is not one of the operators, but you're supplying the vehicle. Um, which the operators are using. So can you just tell us a little bit about how your business model works? So first of all, it's uh, not only the vehicle. The vehicle is a visible part of the iceberg, if I may say this, uh, because we also offer the complete solutions. When I say complete solution, it includes the digital aspect, uh, the connectivity aspect, the financial aspect. And the reason why I'm saying this is because to be successful in free-floating, you need to be visible to your customers. When you're in the middle of London, if you want to pick up a solution, a, mo a mobility solution, so you just pick up your phone, and through the geolocalization, you know where is the device you want to use, 
uh, if it's 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes walking distance, you will not pick up this option. So you need to have a massive number of opportunities around you. And obviously at walking distance, because you don't want to walk too long. So that's a key point. Uh, deploying a massive amount of pods, for example, is obviously in terms of capex much more expensive than uh, e-scooters or e-bikes. Uh, that's why we are offering an uh, e all e-leasing solutions for the operators. Uh, so then they can achieve their market, match with the needs of their market, and deploy straight away a massive number of uh, possibilities. Are you able to talk about the operators that you have either lined up or that you're going to plan to work with? Yes, of course. Yeah, we, we, we started this project around three years ago. Um, since day one, we went to see the politics side of the public authorities to understand how they will shape the, the future city's mobility. And uh, then we also went to see the operators to understand what do they need. And we, we built a very strong relationship with most of them to be able to have a regular catch-up and to address all of their pain points in terms of profitability or sustainability and operating uh, such a free-floating business. Martin and I have had a, a pleasure of looking at the prototype vehicle that you have. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Um, what are some of the things about the way it's been manufactured that make it particularly suitable for this target market? So in, uh, in all of these pain points I've said before, uh, we had to address obviously the range of the car. Uh, by achieving this, you need to have the lightest car as possible. So we based our uh, pod on the L7E, European regulations is called, uh, which is 450 kilos uh, without batteries. Thanks to that, we were able as well to address the main pain points, which is obviously having a battery, a swappable battery system in our pod, rather than uh, having the operators being obliged to send a jockey, bring the car back to the next recharging infrastructure, and, and it costs money to do that, but also the car is completely immobilized for uh, all the recharging time. With our system, the car is more or less every two days being checked by a jockey. They just swap the battery, clean the car, and the car is able to operate again, and it's just took 10 minutes of the operating time of the car. So the car is basically 24-7 available in the street of the cities for the customers. What's the range of the vehicle? The range is around 150 kilometers with the battery technology we have at disposal today. Uh, and based on all the data we have from uh, the operators, we, depending on the cities, uh, we're going to be between two and three days of use. So two and three days, the car is 24-7 operating, and we just need 10 minutes to swap the batteries and make the car again operating. And can you describe the car? Can you tell us about the, the vehicle itself? So the vehicle itself, it's an electric two-seater car, very, very compact and small, uh, very minimalist as well, uh, because that was one of the, another pain point which was addressed, which was when the jockey goes to the car, he needs to clean it or check it, and, and with a normal, OEM car, it takes a long time, so our car has been designed to be ultra-minimalist, so easy to, to clean, uh, and it's a very small and sexy car because it needs to be nice and attractive uh, to go in and to drive it, and very easy to use, very easy to drive, very easy to park. One of the things Martin and I were fascinated about when we were looking at the car is we were talking about the relevance of brand 
Um, for many years, uh, a car has been a way for an individual to express oneself, and it's the second biggest purchase they, they make in their lifetime. What are your plans for the branding of Circle? Is, are the vehicles going to be branded Circle? Or are they going to be branded by the operators? And how do you see that relevance of brand in this particular model? In the coming years, there will be a massive shift from owning a vehicle, like you say, having a, having a brand in, in your portfolio, to go to a full service. So the brand will not matter anymore. Uh, it's going to be more the convenience of the service. Uh, so that mainly will be the case with uh, having our car branded by the operators and not behind circle. So you said uh, a very controversial statement there, the brand will not matter anymore. I'm really intrigued to get your view on do you think the traditional car makers see it like that? And what's your view on how they're responding to the changes that you talk about, this move from ownership to usership? We're talking about uh, mobility solutions, which is uh, purely uh, city-centric based. Okay, So you will still need another way of uh, mobility to go outside the cities, to travel long, or to, to do even some uh, transportation, for example. So. Uh, I think we, we will not go 100% on the side I've said, you know, it's just the way you use a, a mobility solution in the cities. Uh, the, if you're not in this ownership mode, you can use any service, not a brand. Okay, so that's why I mean, you know, so, so it's a different way to consume mobility services, uh, it's, which is spe specifically designed for uh, cities. Making cars is really hard. Um, that's been proven time and time again. Why have you chosen to make a car rather than to go either to a contract manufacturer or to a vehicle manufacturer and actually just buy something that they already have produced and developed and put all the time and effort into? That's the reason why is because we decided to be completely purposely designed and purposely built for this niche market, which is free floating. That's also why we decided to go L7e regulations because it is a, a, an easier car. It's Can you tell us compact. about that? What, what, what are the specific points about that that makes it attractive to this model? And what are the things such as crash regulations and things like that which might apply or not apply to that? It, 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 it might apply, but it's, uh, it's obviously less uh, regulated on this uh, side than uh, M1. We call it an M1 car, which is a normal car. Advantages, I told before, it's, uh, it's a very lightweight car by obligation. You have to be below 450 kilos, mm -hmm. uh, which has other advantages in terms of range or battery size or power unit wise, we have to be less than 50 kilowatt, 15 mm -hmm. kilowatts, sorry. Uh, so it's also limited in every aspect. So that's why the car is, I would not say easy to build, uh, but easier to build than a normal M1 car. Can you give us an indication of the types of volumes or the, the scale um, that you'll be producing this vehicle at? Well, we uh, believe the market in the future will be around 150,000 cars a year, which is a very small market for an OEM. You've chosen, rather than a plug-in model, you've chosen to go for a battery swap option. Can you explain why you chose to go down the battery swap route and what are the challenges and what are the opportunities that that offers you? Well, it's first, it's, uh, it's mainly due to the fact we focused on the free-floating business. Uh, their main pain points was clearly to have to pick up cars, bring them back home or to a recharging station, 
uh, recharge the car for a few hours and then redeploy the car, so which was a lot of effort and, uh, and obviously the operating cost was high and during the recharging time the car was not operating anymore. So it became obvious to us that we could have a sort of unlimited range having a jockey coming every two or three days, swapping the batteries, and then the car is, like I said, just 10 minutes not working, but the rest of the time the car is always operating. So that became for us obvious. And the answers from the operators when we told them this was like, yeah. They came from, most of them, e-scooter or e-bikes uh, models, and they all ended up having battery swaps on their bikes or mm -hmm. their e-scooters. So that obvious for them that it was the key. Battery swaps, something that has not succeeded in the open market, but I guess through the business model that you're operating, you're confident that that's the right way to go? Yes, because again, we are in B2B market, not in B2C market. Mm -hmm. So what happened is the operators, they have the obligation for the customers to clean the car, check the car, swap the batteries. Uh, so they have a, a number of maintenance operations to do uh, to keep their car good looking, clean, and, uh, and operating. So you see, if you send somebody to do that, why not swapping the batteries as well? And then we solved the main pain point, which was immobilizing the car for hours to recharge. Do you see this as something for the short term or the long term? So as, as battery ranges increase, so maybe in the next few years, the, the kind of battery that would power your vehicle could maybe have a range of 300 kilometers, 400 kilometers, and charging times decrease as we get more powerful 150, 200, 300 kilowatt chargers. Could you see this model changing for Circle in the future? It will definitely change. Uh, this model is obviously adapted to the needs now of the market, but as, like you said, the battery technology is massively increasing or changing. Uh, the recharging technology as well in the future, so we might have a second generation of circle cars which could be different technology. The autonomous vehicle as well is coming in, so maybe one day also you can have a circle car in the cities being autonomous. So that's obviously uh, uh, the way we have to look at, and it's an exciting challenge for us to follow the path of this. Is autonomous a technology that you're anticipating and building into your business model? Not yet. Uh, now we have a, a need to supply these services for the customers and for the operators first. Uh, but we have to. We know we, we follow very closely what's going on in the autonomous world because obviously that's that's going to be a big part of a, our model in the future. Another unique thing about your vehicles is they've got occupant monitoring. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about why that's important and the place that it has in this free-floating model. One of the other pain points, I'm sorry I keep saying pain points, but this is how we call it between us, uh, for the operators was to not have a fully connected car by using an OEM car. By not having a fully connected car, they can't get all the necessary data to, let's say, profile the driver, uh, to monitor the car use, uh, which sometimes they had obviously the surprise to find the car broken or whatever. Our car is fully connected, has a lot of sensors, so first we know how the car is driven, uh, we know if the car has an issue. Uh, it allows us as well to obviously uh, monitor through a dash cam system, although I'm not controversial, dash cam system, there is one on the outside uh, for insurance reasons, but there is another one inside, which when you leave the car, switch on, and, and thanks to this ultra-minimalist design of the car, the, the dash cam can detect if you forget something. It can be you forget your bag, or you forget your garbage, or whatever. 
it can be as well you are smoking or whatever. Uh, so we can then directly connect with the customer and obviously allow or not the locking of the car until this has been fixed. Uh, it also allows the operators to, like I said, profile good drivers or anything which give advantage for a good drivers. It can be an insurance reduction cost, so it can be anything uh, which we can help the operators to monetize our business even more. Finally, I'd love to know a little bit more about where you plan to launch these schemes and some indication of scale. So we don't talk about scale now because there is some contract in place with some operators already uh, because our product is very uh, attractive to them and they want to deploy it as soon as possible. So the burden is on us now to deliver as early as possible, but we plan to have the first cars in the street by, let's say, first quarter of 2023. Eric, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this uh, fascinating business model. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Ride, the Urban Mobility Podcast, is brought to you by Covetic and Pay by Phone. Learn more about Ride Podcast Partners at www.covetic.com and www.paybyphone.co.uk. This episode of Ride was recorded and produced by Martin Strong. Natalie Webster provided marketing support and Thomas Novak provided expert insight and project management was led by Segal M. Buter. If you like our podcast, please rate it. A five-star rating will help us reach more listeners. For episode notes, to find more information about Ride or to sign up for updates, visit www.ridemobilitypodcast.com.